Welcome to the Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. This is Solveig Brown, and today I will be continuing my conversation with Deb Herrera. In part one of this podcast, Deb walked us through her goal clarifying questions. If you didn't hear this episode, I highly recommend going back to listen to it. Also, you can find the goal clarifying questions on the show notes for this episode. Deb's questions are a powerful tool for defining what success looks like and completing a particular goal. And the questions can also help get you clear on why you want to achieve a particular goal. They have truly been a game changer for me in goal setting. So definitely check out part one of this episode if you have not heard it yet. Today, Deb is going to talk about the pressing issues that her clients have been dealing with during the past six months. She will also reveal her strategies for influencing, delegation, and giving feedback. Before we begin our conversation, here is some background information on Deb. Deb Herrera is an ICF certified executive coach and former CFO with more than 25 years of leadership experience. Deb is passionate about helping others realize their fullest potential at the organization, team, and individual level. She has coached a wide range of leaders in a variety of industries and roles. She has extensive financial and business experience and is known as a fearless leader and communicator. She has led teams to achieve stellar results at General Mills, Best Buy, Honeywell, Thomson Reuters, and the Schwann's Food Company. She attributes her success to her ability to inspire and motivate leaders and teams to think differently and stretch beyond their comfort zone. She also encourages people to believe that they can succeed. Deb was recently featured as the voice of experience on Mentium's business education webinar, Thriving Through Change. Deb is a former mentee and has been a mentor for Mentium since 2014. Welcome back, Deb. I am so happy to be continuing our conversation. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's such an honor. Yeah, well, Deb, the last 20 months have been stressful in countless ways. As an executive coach, I know you have been seeing so many people. What would you say have been the pressing issues that you have been hearing about from your clients over the last six to 20 months? You're right. It has been trying, I think, one, just from the duration of the of the new order we live in. And then it feels like a real roller coaster, like, oh, it's, it's better. Oh, no, it's not. It's better. No, it's not. And I think that's just led to a level of exhaustion. So I coach men, women, all levels, all functions, all industries. And surprisingly, the issues that have come up that are universal cross all those boundaries, which is a surprise to me. I had these um, assumptions about how different we are and we're actually very similar. So the first one is confidence. Like this whole situation has shaken people's confidence, men and women and their confidence as spouses, their confidence as parents, their confidence as colleagues. And it's really done a number on us all. And then the second one is burnout, which sometimes can be um, having trouble with work-life balance, time management. A lot of it is just an offshoot of we are over capacity. And there's been so many articles, as I'm sure you know, over the last year and a half, two years that have been written on the topic of burnout, but that is a huge topic. And it's real and it's pervasive and it's a lot. 
Yeah, that really resonates with what I've been hearing from the mentees as well. Those topics come up over and over. Let's start with confidence. So can you give our listeners some tips on how to feel more confident? Yes, I will do my best here. This is such a rich topic and it's not a silver bullet topic, to be honest with you. It's not like you're going to get done with a coaching session or a conversation and all of a sudden it's going to be okay. To me, it begins with really being present to your own self-talk. What are the messages I'm saying to myself unconsciously and consciously? I came across this quote the other day by John Milton, who was an English poet in the 1600s. And he was considered the most significant English author after William Shakespeare. So his quote was, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. So the mind is its own place and it itself can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. To me, that means like so much of this issue of confidence is in our own minds. It doesn't make it any less real. It just Mm -hmm. means if you believe that, which I do, we have much more control of it than we think we do. And I think if we were just to stop and pay attention to the stuff we say to ourselves, whoa, it's probably not very nice and it's probably not very helpful. Right. Yeah. So starting with that. So then let's say you observe your inner talk and you think, wow, I wouldn't talk to a friend like that. Or I wouldn't talk to a colleague like that. What can you do to start changing some of those patterns of self-criticism or self-doubt or just that kind of constant inner dialogue that may not be helping your confidence? I love that you called it a pattern because again, it's something that will take, in my opinion, some time and some attention. And so one of the things I have my clients do and that I do myself is a practice of noticing. So that practice could look a lot of different ways, um, but that reflection process is really important. Reflection actually will change the neural pathways in your brain over time and help you on a path to changing a habit. And so here's what noticing could look like. I'm at, I get out of a meeting and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe how stupid I was. I should have said this. I should have said that. Okay. Now just pause and notice like what's going on with your head. What's going on in my head and make that a habit. So it could be after the fact, it could be in the moment. Like that's what you want to build to in the moment to catch yourself, but that takes practice. It could be a week later, man, that meeting went horribly well, horribly horrible. Um, Just practice noticing. Um, It could be Here's a practice that um, I learned from a CEO I worked with. So he had a practice of every night before bed, he's in his bathroom brushing his teeth. So it's two minutes doing something he's already doing. So it doesn't require anything else on your schedule. So he would stand in front of the mirror and he would ask himself two questions. And your questions might be different, but this was his reflection process. It's just an example of a process. His example was, was I a leader I would have wanted to have been led by today? Wow, yeah. Brushing his teeth, ask himself the question. If the answer is yes, then he would ask himself, what is one thing, back to the small habits, what is one thing that I want to take forward tomorrow to be even better? 
Wow. Mm-hmm. If the answer was no, what's the one thing I want to do tomorrow to be even more effective? Mm-hmm. And so that was his reflection. So in this, in the case of confidence and self-talk, you know, just getting present at the end of the day, you could ask yourself while you're brushing your teeth, where was I confident? Where wasn't I confident? Start to notice the, the trends around that. Are you more or less confident around certain people? Are you more or less confident in certain situations? Are you more or less confident in certain subject matters. So by noticing the tendencies, am I more or less confident when I'm, when I'm tired? Like what's going on with me and around me that's leading to my feeling of lacking confidence? Because as you identify those pieces that influence your level of confidence, you can prepare differently. So an example, when I worked for this company, I had to be in front of the board a lot and a chairman of the board just I I just he stressed me out and I just was never at my best and so knowing that I was going into a meeting with him and knowing I most likely am not going to feel super confident I prepared differently so that could look like I got more sleep I talked to someone that I trust who could build me up I might spend more time preparing. Like I could take action that would bolster my confidence in advance. So I'm going to pause there because that was a lot. That is, I know I'm just getting my head around that. I'm like, (laughs) wow, that is just a great idea of how to kind of go on the offensive for your confidence. But it all starts from that awareness of like, ooh, this person stresses me out. And I've been in situations where some people just, you're like, oh, they kind of, make you wither a little bit. And so yeah. I love that of how you can be proactive in that. And then also in the, you know, brushing your teeth example of thinking about your day. I also really like that because it also talks about what you did well. And I've, in a lot of the people that I've interviewed and stuff, I've noticed people, it's much easier for people to talk about where their shortcomings are or what didn't go well, but also that practice of where you figuring out where you do feel confident, where things do go well and how to carry those forward and also how to even transfer them into different areas where you feel less confident, the same skills. You're like, oh, I could use that in this situation. Yeah. I love what you just said there. It's a great reminder that if we can go back to a time when we've been successful in whatever we're trying to do, whether it's being confident or delegation or influence or what have you, that's a place of strength to pull from. Right. Yeah. And then figure out what you've been doing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Can bring that forward. Yeah. And then the second thing is, you know, as you examine your thoughts, you know, these terrible things you're saying to yourself and you just pause for a second. And because when you're in that place, lacking confidence and you're telling yourself horrible things, you're actually engaging this, what we call the lizard part of your brain. It's not the executive functioning part of your brain. And so by just slowing it down and observing and noticing, you're slowing it down and giving those thoughts or those brainwaves time to come to the front, to engage that executive functioning. And that's when your logic can kick in and go, wait a minute, this isn't even true. Right, yeah. What's going on? And it just allows you more of your brain to attack the issue. Um, Sometimes that self-talk is old. 
-hmm. like something you heard when you were a child that you decided to carry forward and it's no longer relevant or it's no longer serving you. Sometimes it stems from something that's accurate. Like, oh my God, I'm super nervous about going into this. I don't feel confident because I don't know my stuff. Okay. In that case, it might be rooted in fact but then there's something I can do about it. And it's less about the emotional freaking out or withering. And it's more about, okay, this is actually an issue. So what, what am I going to do about it? Right. So using that self-awareness that you started with as just a powerful tool for managing your mind, managing those lizard emotions from you know the back of your brain and bringing them up to the prefrontal cortex. Wow, those are great tips. There are actionable things you can do that can make a huge difference, but just getting in the habits of observing every day, observing your self-talk. That is great. Well, the other thing you mentioned was burnout. And I see burnout as such a huge issue right now. People have so much on their plate. There's so much uncertainty. Um, there's less support than usual. There's less options for fun or you know, refilling your buckets as usual. So I have so many questions about this. Like first, how can people recognize that they are getting burned out? I think there are so many signs that we ignore, and I think the signs can be emotional. So what those signs could look like would be quick to anger, quick to cry, you know, quick for emotional outbursts, constantly on edge. You know, those are emotional signs. I think mental signs, fatigue, my thoughts are negative. I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I'm more fearful. I'm getting little to no pleasure from things that I normally would. Spiritual, spiritual signs would be I'm starting to question my purpose and not in a healthy moving forward way, but like, what's the point? Why am I here? What am I doing? You know, there's a healthy and there's an unhealthy way there. I think the unhealthy is what I'm talking about. Questioning your beliefs, again, not in a powerful moving forward way, but in a just a kind of way. And then physical aches, pains, headaches, not being able to sleep. These are all signs that our body tries to give us that we often don't listen to. And so back to that reflection that we were just talking about on the self-talk is if you just slow down a little bit and tune in to what's going on, the signs are probably really obvious once we take stock. Right. And again, going back, like you said, going back to that observation of just noticing, oh, wow, I'm feeling this way. Oh, I've been really tired. Wow. So what can people do to prevent burnout? Let's say you're starting to see some of these signs and you think, "Uh oh, I, I better do something. What are some actions that you can take? You know, you mentioned how so many things that we used to do, we can't, you know, like some people would go, they would take a big trip and a big vacation or they'd go work out at a gym and maybe those things aren't available to you. Uh, but how can you alter your self-care? I know self-care has been a buzzword, especially in the last couple of years, but it's true. How, what do you need to be able to take care of yourself right now? That might be looking at your calendar and blocking off some time. It might be looking at your priorities and rejiggering them. What, what, needs, what needs to happen now and what doesn't need to happen now? I was talking to a client about this actually just before our call. 
and so she's an executive and executive vice president for this company in Canada, and she is just kind of at her wit's end, as most people are, many people are, and um, most of the things that she would normally go to, she can't go to now. And so, for her, one of the things she talked about was she's not very good at asking for help, which is a, is a malady many of us carry. And so we talked about, instead of thinking about asking for help, maybe if you reframed it to who can I invite in? Who can I invite in to participate? So my example is I'm trying to plan a family reunion of the oldest of four. I'm the go-to person. I handle everything. And I'm terrible at asking for help. But I also know my, my capacity right now is low. I feel less than at my best. And I'm inviting my sister and I'm inviting my cousin to help me and to, to, be part, to participate in the planning of this family reunion, which is really important to our family. So who can you invite in so that you're not shouldering all the burden? You know, when you think about prioritization or all these things you have to do, I'll just pause there. I like the language of that too, because it feels different instead of like, oh, I need to ask for help, but it's like, oh, who can I invite in? It just, it's more empowering to talk about it like that, especially if you're a person that has trouble um, getting help or asking for help or seeking help. But it's like doing an invitation is a much more doable and more fun. I also think about it in three buckets. When you think about like sometimes you might find yourself in a real um, crisis. Like I, I'm, I'm at a bad point. I need some help. That to me is when you triage. Like mm-hmm. you got to take quick action. It doesn't mean you're going to do that for months and years. But in this moment, you need something that's going to get you out of that crisis and into a safer place. That could be, you know, reaching out to a professional who specializes in this area. It could be taking a couple of days off. It could be telling your boss, this is where you're at. It could be talking to someone you trust, like a significant other or a close friend or confidant. Like, so I think being honest with yourself, like, where am I? Am I at a crisis point? Because that happens. Then mm-hmm. think of it as triage and how can you get some enough relief to get you out of the crisis mode? So those are a couple of ideas. Yeah. And then the second area is like, okay, short term. Are there actions that I can take in the short term to take some pressure off? Short-term actions might be delaying a project, saying no to a few things, taking some time off. You know, think about what are some, because it doesn't have to be, sometimes when you're in a state of burnout, it can feel like it's going to be forever. It's never going to end. And that makes it worse. But if you can carve out short, what what are the short-term things and what are the short-term actions I can take? again, to give myself a little relief. And then mm-hmm. what are the long-term things? So example is if you're caring for an elderly parent, you know, that might feel really long-term. There may be some long-term actions that you need to take to take care of yourself. Um, that- yeah. Those are great, great ideas. And I like the, even the term of triage of burnout that it, I mean, it is a big deal. And I think sometimes people think, oh, I'll I'll get through this or I'll, you know, it'll work out. But just that recognizing again, that awareness piece that you are in a crisis and that you need to take some immediate steps to just get yourself 
kind of over the hump of that crisis. So thank you for talking about that too, because I think more people find themselves in that position than ever before. And for many people, it might be the first time they've been there and they may not recognize that. And then what are you telling yourself? Like my client this morning, so she's extremely accomplished and extremely driven. And she hurt, she's calling herself lazy and stupid. She's neither, but she's yeah. like, what, the way that she would overcome things in the past would be to do more. And now she can't do more because she doesn't have any more capacity. So mm-hmm. now she's lazy. And so I just be really mindful of what you're telling yourself right? Um, and some self-compassion. Like this, you don't want to sit there forever and make a home. Like, so it becomes excuses, but this sucks. Let's be honest. This is hard. Yeah. Some people are at home with elderly parents. Some people are at home with kids who can't be in school. Like my client, she's in Canada. The kids are at home again. Oh my goodness. It's so hard. Yeah. And I think that self-compassion is key. You know, self-compassion for yourself, compassion for everyone you're interacting with, because we are all in this together and it's challenging at different points of the day, the week, the year for everyone. Everyone's got their own things that they're dealing with. You may not even know what they are, but I love together. Mm -hmm. We're in it together. Mm -hmm. And I'm terribly alone. Yes. Like both. Yeah. We're in it together. And I'm also extremely alone. And I think not giving space to that can make it Mm -hmm. worse too. Like, yeah, everybody's suffering. And, yeah. and right now I'm suffering big for me. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. exactly. Thank you for that. Those are really, really good ideas. And also just awareness of what burnout is and what it feels like and what some of the signs are. So switching gears a little bit, I'd also like to ask you about some of the things you are really an expert in. So in your role as the CFO, you have had to influence a lot of decisions. Can you offer some tips on how to be better at influencing? Yeah, I, um, this was an area that I always found a place where I had additional opportunity to grow. <laughs> so I have a lot of passion around this one and feedback, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute. To me, influence comes down to relationship. And again, this is where the, it's not going to be a quick fix. If you're, if you haven't taken the time to cultivate the critical relationships, that's not something you can do overnight. So, you know, maybe think about or ask yourself, what are the relationship? What's the relationship I have with the people I'm trying to influence? Is it a good one? Is it strained? What's my contribution? You know, how might I build the relationship that I need or would like. So that's the first one. How do you cultivate them? Um, And being honest with yourself about what's your brand? Like how are others viewing you? Are you someone who is always out for yourself only and people get that? Are you someone who cares about others and can be counted on? Like getting present to how you really show up and what those relationships are is a place to start. other thing is oftentimes when we think about influence, we're really focused on what we need. You know, I got to influence you because I have to get this thing done, which isn't bad, but maybe add in, okay, now I know what, what's in it for me, but what's in it for you? What's in it for my audience? You know, what, and you could even ask them. So let's say you're, you're in a conversation and it's just not going well, and then you're not seeing eye to eye. You really need this thing to happen, and this other person is a hard no. 
maybe you could ask, okay, what's in the way? What are you worried about? Or, you know, or if worried isn't the right word, or uh, what are you afraid of? Or what's in your way? And just give them an opportunity to express what their concerns are. They may be valid. They may be something you haven't thought about. So what's in it for them? And then if you're still getting a hard wall, like engage them in the conversation of what's, what's in the way? Or what would have to be true for this to work? That's another way, because then you're getting them to think about possibility. But mm -hmm. the key there is engaging them and listening, listening to them, like really right. listening, not just like listening to respond and listening. All right, hurry up so I can tell you why you're wrong, but really listening. Yeah, from that sense of really being curious of what they're thinking. And also like yeah. what you said about what's in it for them, thinking about that. Um, and then going back to the very beginning that you also need to have built a relationship. And yeah. so if you want to grow your influencing skills, probably you should start with building your relationship yeah. throughout the organization. And I think too, when we think about, when we talk about networking, networking is about relationships too. And as a mm -hmm. professional, as a human, that's how I would think about networking is what are the relationships that I would like to build to be a contribution to others and allow others to be a contribution for, to me, that's mm -hmm. what relationship is. Right. Yeah. I like the language of that too. Like I'm, I was a person who always felt like they had to go it alone. Like the, like the example I gave you on the family reunions, mm -hmm. but, and I think this might've been a, a Mentium podcast before, but who think about who don't go it alone. Who are your advocates mm -hmm. and who are your detractors? Okay. Yeah. So who are the people? And, you know, I saw this grid drawn, so it wasn't my idea, but if you imagine four squares, so you got an X axis and a Y axis. I did that backwards, but X axis. Mm -hmm. And who are the people who have high influence mm -hmm. and have positive thoughts about what you're trying to do? Right. Those are your high influence advocates. Okay. okay. So that's an important population. They have high influence and they have positive feelings about what you're trying to do or about mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Those are an important population. Equally important would be the people who have high influence and are not so as excited about your project or you. Mm -hmm. Those are your high influence detractors. Right. So just knowing who those two populations are and then dealing with them appropriately. Yeah. Engaging them appropriately. Yeah, I even like the idea of having a grid and writing them out. So yeah. it's more <laughs> mindful. Then you're like, that also makes it seem more doable instead yeah. of just having that, oh man, they don't like what I'm doing. Then you're like, oh, who are these specific people? Maybe it's one person, yeah. you know, or maybe you can see you have a lot more people that are in your corner that have high influence. And, and then how, then you might be able to leverage, if you know who your high influence advocates are, you might be able to leverage them depending on your relationship to influence your high influence detractors. Right, right. So you wow. don't have to be the only person. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Thanks for giving us kind of some yeah. of those inside tips on influencing. I do appreciate that. Yeah. So many of our mentees are nominated to be in the mentee program as they take on larger roles in their organization. This often means that they're moving from being an individual contributor to managing a team or from managing a small team to managing a large team or department or division. 
So delegation is a challenge for many of the mentees in this program. Can you offer advice for how to be better at delegation? This is such a common struggle. And if you think about it, you oftentimes when you're going from an individual contributor to a manager, the requirements are different, but what's gotten you to this point has been what you, you have delivered. And so of course, it's gonna be hard for you to go from delivering and doing to delegating and leading. And I think leaders forget what it's like to make that jump. I think it's the hardest professional jump from individual contributor to leader. And most of the time, no one prepares you. So just normalizing that for whatever it's worth mm-hmm. and being present to the fact that it might be tough. And sometimes you're, you're trying to delegate to people who are your peers and now they report to you. I mean, there's layers to this. So this would be a great place for reflection. And the question I would say, I would ask myself is what is getting in the way of me delegating? Mm-hmm. Common would be, I don't have the time. I don't have time. It's due. It's got to get done. I don't have time. Next one is, I don't know if they can do it. I'm worried about the quality. It's got to be perfect. It's going up to the sea level or it's going to my boss or this is my first time proving myself. So just what's in your way? What do you worry about? What are you afraid of? And again, the fear might be rational and real, or it might be something that's not as big as we think it is. So once you're aware of what's in the way, you can attack it from a more logical place. So example, let's say you're a new leader and it's a big project, high visibility, and you're worried about delegating for whatever reason, time, quality, et cetera. It also could be, I actually like what it feels like to accomplish this on my own. It's how I get satisfaction. That's another you know, real reason. So imagine going to your boss and saying, hey, I really want to give this to Megan, but here are my worries. Here are my concerns. That might open up a conversation. They might say, well, I'm actually not worried about the due date. I'm actually worried about the quality. It's really important that we do this. You know, it may open up a conversation about what success looks like and what's really important to this person of what you're delivering. And and then if you're open about what you're worried about, that person, your boss or whomever might have other ideas of how to tackle it. Well, don't give it to this person, give it to Megan. Megan really can get this done quickly. You know, Solvay's a a rock star under pressure or whatever. So that's one, just really self-assessment. What's in my way? And then what do I wanna do about that worry? The second thing is delegate. I think when we think about delegation, we think it's a one size fits all, it's not. So if I have a team, think of it as a spectrum. So at the bottom of the spectrum, I have someone who's brand new to the organization, new to the role. And at the top of the spectrum, I have someone who's been in the role five years and they have a lot of experience and they're a really good performer. I'm gonna delegate differently to the person who's new than I'm gonna delegate to the person who's been here a while. So if you think about that spectrum, you're probably gonna approach things differently. If it's a high stakes project, I'm not maybe going to give it to my brand new person because quality and time might be real. So think about it that way. Um, The person who's a master, you have to give less detail, you know, just give it to them, they run. So that's another, another way to think about it. 
And then the third thing would be, you've got this thing you want to delegate. The best thing as a leader you can do is be really clear on what you want. So there, I have four W's that I would interject for that. One and two we're pretty good at. What do I need? And when do I need it? Mm -hmm. But there's two other questions or two other points. One is why do I need it? So this is especially important for millennials. So this is a gross generalization, but millennials, it's important for them to understand the purpose. Mm -hmm. Why am I doing this? So the why, so what, am, what do I need? When do I need it? And why do I need it? Tell me the purpose. And then the fourth one, why do I need you, Solvay, to do it? Right. That can increase connection to the activity. Mm -hmm. It can lead to a really beautiful development conversation. Like Solva, you told me that you're really interested in getting to the next level and getting more exposure to this leader. This project is perfect for you because it's going to get you exposure to this person and you're going to learn these skills, which are really important for the next level. Yeah. Okay. I'm in. Woohoo. Right. You yeah, get, we, you create a partnership and buy-in from the yeah. person and excitement. And it's more like, this is a great opportunity for you. Yeah. Wow. And then leave questions, time for questions. So Solvay, what did you hear me say? What might mm -hmm. get in your way? What do you need to be successful? Mm -hmm. What are you worried about? You know, allow time and, but you also have to create the environment. Like, Solvay, what do you need? Do you need anything? You're not going to tell me, but if I'm like, Solvay, all right, what do you think? Yeah. Then you're probably going to tell me. So. Right. And creating that trust that you will be responsive and that you have their best interest and that they're not alone, that you're there to yeah. offer the support and you want them to be successful at doing this yeah. too. I love those questions. You have good questions for everything. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I then, like that. <laughs> and then one final thing on delegation. As the person delegating, also remember to think about what do you need to feel good about what's going to happen? So if I'm handing something off to somebody and I'm worried about the quality and it's due in a week, I don't want to just give it off to the person and come back on Friday and be surprised. So what do I need? I might need to check in on Tuesday and say, hey, how are we doing? I might need to check in on Thursday. I mm -hmm. might need to lay out milestones like, hey, Solvay, by Wednesday, we should be here. We should have these three things done. So let's check in and see where you're at. And if you're falling behind, then we'll create a plan. You know, it's so you're yeah. not just as the person delegating left hanging and hoping everything goes okay. Right, and so it alleviates your own anxiety. Yeah. as the person delegating and gives you those check-ins so you can feel like, oh, this is getting done. Yeah, Those are great ideas. Deb, one other area that I know you've talked about and that you've really learned a lot is about giving feedback. So from your experience and from you know thinking about this, practicing it throughout your career, what are effective ways to give feedback? This is an area that I've had to put so much work into because I am a people pleaser and I have a hard time delivering tough messages. And I just, so it's a, it's a, I have a lot of empathy for people who are like me who struggle. Um, and I came across this, I'm going to call it a formula. And again, it's not mine, 
and I can't remember if I read, I don't remember if it was Marcus Buckingham who was interviewed by the Washington Post. First of all, step one, what's going on with me, the person who's going to give the feedback? What is going on? Am I stressed? Am I nervous? Am I insecure? Like what's going on? And really get intentional and present to what is happening. Manage yourself first. Because if you're not in a good place to give it, all the formulas in the world are not gonna do justice. So and I'll give you an example. I had this person who worked for me in one capacity who I adored. And she interviewed for this other role under my organization. And I knew in my heart she wasn't right for it. And I had to tell her she didn't get the job. And I so wanted her to have the job and I thought so highly of her. So I had to sit down and give her the feedback and I was a disaster because of all that stuff in the background. I didn't do what I just said. I didn't like take stock and manage myself. So we get in this conversation and I'm about ready to cry, which doesn't serve her at all. And God bless her. She grabbed my hands and she said, Deb, I need you to be the leader I need today. I need you to tell me what I need to know. Like, I get chills thinking about that. Like, it was such a powerful moment and it switched how I thought about feedback. It wasn't about me, it was about her. But there were things I had to do to manage myself so that I could show up the, the way she needed me to show up. That's how I think about it. What do I need to do to manage myself so I can show up the way that you need me to show up? So that's first and foremost. So if you do nothing else but that, you're in great stead. So then with feedback, the formula, that I came across that resonated for me was, there's three parts to it. The first part is I noticed. So example, I was on a call with a client this morning and he has to give tough feedback to someone who works for him. And so what he had noticed is she tends to do the easy stuff first and then leave the, the hard stuff for later. So I noticed that the more challenging tasks you're leaving to the end. That's what I, so I noticed you're leaving the harder tasks to the end. That's step one. Step two, the impact to me or the work or the organization, you decide. So I noticed you leave the more difficult tasks to the end. The impact to me is I feel I have to step in at the last minute, something like that. The impact, the impact is we missed the deadline. You want it to be one or two things that are personal because it's harder to argue that. The impact to me is I lost confidence in you. Well, that's my feeling. You can't really argue with me. So you tell them, I noticed this and the impact was. And then the third part is an invitation into the conversation. I noticed this, the impact was what's going on? or what was your intention, or what do you think? And it's an open-ended question that invites the conversation. Now, I don't know how her, his conversation went, but it could be something like, yeah, I'm distressed. I don't know how to do this. You know, Then you have more information and you right. can have a different path forward. So that's a simple formula that for me works. I noticed the impact was what were your intentions or what's going on or what do you yeah. think? Yeah. And then listen, 
Right. And then you can have the conversation about that. And then at the same time, they understand what the impact is for you. And and it kind of gets at that why it's important. This is important because it's affecting me or the organization or the team. Oh, those are that's great. And again, that's a doable thing. You can have these questions in your back pocket. But I like that you talked about you have to kind of center yourself first and be present and kind of be clear on where you're at in the moment. And are you in a good place to give feedback or not? All right. Well, Deb, we have time for three final questions. First one is, do you have habits that you feel have contributed to your success? Oh, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, I don't know if it's a habit as it is a mindset, which is always be excellent. Like always be excellent. Always do your best. It's the way I was raised. Um, just bring my full game whenever I can. And uh, the second thing I would say is I looking for ways that I can differentiate myself always. You know, mm-hmm. where, where are the places I can make my strengths soar? You know, there's certain things that I'm good at and certain things I'm not. So where can I apply my unique strengths to kind of move forward? Right. Well, that is great. And what would your advice be to up and coming leaders? Oh, I always... I get asked this question a lot and I, I'm, I'm always reticent to answer because I think leaders have so much to offer already and it feels bold to say this. But as I, as I thought back and coming off the holiday, I thought, how does your work fit into your life? I spent a lot of years trying to figure out how my life fit into my work, which is not healthy. And I think especially over the last 20 months, we've kind of gotten a slap in the face about that. So I would think about you know, work is a small part of your life. Like, what do you want your life to look like? And how does work fit in? And that could be a question you can revisit because you'll get out of, you'll get out of sorts. You'll get out of balance because that's how the world is. That's how people are. It's a good question to come back to kind of to resetting yourself, like what, for the purpose of what am I doing this? And then the other thing I would say back to the question you just asked me would be seek feedback okay? mm-hmm. from people who have earned the right to give it to you. So people that you trust, they don't, doesn't mean they have to love you and think you're the best thing ever, but they're people that have earned the right to give you feedback. So I would seek it there and then be curious, like ask questions. I think, especially if you're a new leader, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to think we're supposed to know everything. And then we shut down and don't ask questions. I would ask questions, be curious, Yeah, that is great advice for for anyone. And final question, Deb, do you have a favorite saying, quote, or motto? I do. My favorite quote is, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you've imagined. And it's by Thoreau. And I love it because to me, it means you're the master of your own destiny. And it's it's also a watch out to not hand the, the reins over to other people. Be careful who you give the reins of your life to. Be careful, which could be your own crappy self-talk. Like, I can't do that. No, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you imagine. Like, don't be small, big, big. Play big in this world. The world needs you to play big, period. That is a wonderful quote to end on. And what I like about that is that throughout this podcast, you've given us the tools to do that. You've given us the tools with all the great questions you've asked. I so appreciate you being excellent in part one and part two today of 
of you know giving us such great goal clarifying questions that people can use as a tool to get to where they want and and then in part two figuring out how to be more confident how to prevent and alleviate burnout how, and knowing that other people are dealing with this as well and all of your fantastic suggestions I can't even recap them all because there were so many good ones for influencing delegating giving effective feedback and I like how everything comes back to you know having that self-awareness being reflective and kind of understanding and observing your mind your body your emotions what's going on for you and acting from that place of observation because that's a powerful tool to train your mind to be your ally to help you go forth to be excellent and to be confident and to you know be the master of your own life and your dreams so thank you so much for being my guest and for all these fantastic questions and strategies. I know that I will be carrying a lot of them forward as I'm thinking I'll listen to it again. I'm like, oh, what did she say about that? So thank you so much, Deb. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to this Mentia Matters podcast. We look forward to having you all back next time.